Hey, Liberty Heights family, this weekend you're in for a special treat. My good friend Aaron Swenson is here to preach with us, and I cannot speak highly enough what Aaron is doing at Summit Church down in Marymount. I've gotten to know Aaron over the last few years, and he's just doing a great job leading there in ministry. God's used him in some great ways. And so today, I've invited Aaron to come and speak in my absence, and I know you're going to be encouraged. Matter of fact, I would say this. If you live down in the Marymount area and you're driving 30-plus minutes to go to here, you've got friends that live there, check out Summit Church. It's a great church. So great. I've tried to hire Aaron a couple times. He's turned me down, so clearly he's outside the will of God for his life. But in spite of all of that, you're going to enjoy Aaron today. So would you make welcome to our pulpit this morning, Pastor Aaron Swenson. Oh, man. He's not lying. I, every once in a while, I get a text message, and I see his name cross uh, my phone, and I'm like, oh, here he goes again, trying to hire me. And uh, it's hard to turn down, because you guys are great. And uh, I love Brad, love your pastor, so uh, th so thankful to be here. And um, if you've got a copy of God's Word, open up to Acts 18, and uh, we'll be there in just a second. We're going to have to hit the ground running. I've got a timer on me, and I don't have a timer at our church. And so uh, I just go, and we end when we end. And so <laughs> some of you are like, please don't do that today. I promise I'm not going to do that. But Acts 18, before we get there, though, uh, have anybody in the house today ever had a bad day? Just raise your hand. Anybody had a bad day? Did that happen to happen today? Anybody have a bad day today? No, nobody? Great. Maybe one or two people. Uh, what happens, though, when those bad days begin to stack up? And uh, we continue to have like bad day after bad day after bad day. We call those tough seasons. Anybody ever been in a tough season before? Oh my gosh, lots of you. Uh, I mean, in the church culture, uh, we've been in a really bad season uh, as far as pastors, church leaders and stuff for the last couple of years. It's been a really tough season uh, to navigate. And uh, when you start stacking all those things together, uh, we really call those um, setbacks. Uh, and I think many of us have experienced those setbacks before. And I started thinking about this, and I started thinking about a guy in Scripture who has experienced so many of those. Uh, and if you're new to the Bible, you don't know this, and that's totally fine. Uh, but if you're not new to the Bible, then you probably already know who I'm about to talk about. It's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul has literally lived his entire life with the odds stacked against him and has literally just survived. Um, and so the Apostle Paul finds himself... Uh, in this verse I want to share with you before we get to Acts 18, he writes chained in a Roman prison. He finds himself in a really tough spot, in a really tough circumstance, and like a bad day upon bad days. Uh, I recently met a guy who had been incarcerated, and he's told me the, the uh, traumatic moments of spending time behind bars. He's like, dude, you have no idea how dark and how bad it actually is. So I can only imagine what the Apostle Paul feels when he writes these words in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I want you to know. He goes, hey, brothers, sisters, church family, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Wait a second, Paul. <laughs> You're writing this from a prison. I know a little bit of your story. You've been beaten. You've been shipwrecked. You've been left for dead. And you're telling me that what has happened to you is actually for the advancement of the gospel? That's ridiculous. You're, you're telling me that, the, and what Paul is saying is he's going, hey, I know that my circumstances seem alarming. I know they seem a little scary to you. I know that it looks like a lot of regress 
in my life, but what I'm here today to tell you is that what you're seeing and what you're hearing about me wasn't for uh, regress, it wasn't a lot of setbacks. I'm here to tell you that what I've walked through today is for the progress of the advancement of the gospel. Now, humor me for a second. You know when you double click your mouse and it always takes you a little deeper into something else? Think about emotionally for a second, just double click on that statement. Think about this. You mean to tell me that if I'm walking through a very difficult season with my family right now, I got four kids, I feel like it's a difficult season. I've been in one for 15 years. <laughs> so uh, you telling me like with my family, the difficulty that we're walking through, my, my, my personal battle and struggle today is for the advancement of the gospel in me and then through me? It's for my progress? Now, zoom out for a minute. Think about what your church, Liberty Heights, what our church, the Summit Church, has gone through and many other churches in the last couple of years. You're telling me that what has happened to us was for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ in us and then through us? The Apostle Paul, if he were standing before you today, would say, yes. What is happening to you, dear brother and sister, what's happening to us as followers of Jesus Christ in this day and age, in this context, what's happened to us is for the advancement of the gospel. And what we're going to see in Acts chapter 18 is Jesus meets with Paul in this vision, in this dream, and he speaks to him and he gives him literally like, hey, Paul, do you want to know how to advance through this moment in your life? Do you want to know how to make some progress for the gospel in your own life, but then through your life in this particular city that I'm taking you? Let me tell you how you can advance through adversity. And so if anybody's had a bad day or walked through a tough situation or are going through any adversity today, Jesus wants to speak to your heart and tell you how you can advance through adversity. So Pick up with me in Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. We'll read the whole story for the context, and then we'll zero in on a couple of verses. It says in verse 1, after this, the, uh, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with, entire, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, now check this, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. How do you advance through adversity? I got four points for you. If you like to write notes down, you can jot this down. Number one, here it is. Do not be afraid. 
do not be afraid. Where am I getting that? If you see it in the text, I like to preach straight out of the text just like Brad does. And it says it right there in verse 9. Do not be what? Do you have a Bible? What does it say? Afraid, right? It says afraid. Do not be afraid. Now the truth of the matter is in life, there are many things to be fearful of. If you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon, you should be afraid. You shouldn't walk into that moment super cavalier and like you can walk on thin air. Like that doesn't happen. Like there are general reasons to be afraid. And when you think about difficult days and tough circumstances, the Apostle Paul was fearful of some things. He's a spiritual giant to me and probably to many of you, but there was reason for Paul to be afraid. That's why Jesus speaks to him. In the original language, it's like Jesus leaning into the Apostle Paul and he's like, hey, you got to knock this off. Stop being afraid. You are being afraid. Stop in the moment right now as you're afraid being afraid. Stop it right now. So he was currently in the moment of fear. What was he afraid of? I think the Apostle Paul was afraid of some of the same things you and I are in life. He said, do not be afraid. Jot this thought down. Number one, when the funds aren't there, when money is short. Anybody get a little fearful when there's too much month left at the end of the money? Anybody? No honest people in church today. So you want to talk about hard days, but you don't want to talk about this. Come on. Thanks, man. I got you all. Awesome. Got two people. So I'm going to preach to this section first. Okay, so when money is not there, we have a tendency to freak out. Now, if you have an abundance, there are other things that you might freak out about. But the truth of the matter is, is that when funds aren't there, you start to kind of get a little nervous, financially fearful. Notice what happens up in uh, verse 3. It says right here, that he stayed with them. He stayed with Priscilla and Aquila, and he worked with them. So Paul literally didn't have enough money. The church in Corinth was brand new. There wasn't any resources. There were no resources for them to do ministry. So what did the apostle Paul do is he got a job. He went bivocational, and he worked with Priscilla and Aquila, and he started making tents on the side to subsidize the ministry so that they could advance the gospel in the city of Corinth. And I think when we have a tendency to see the budget in a church, to see the budget in our homes start to shrink when you're paying, praise God, the gas went under $4. Now, I'm from Oklahoma and Texas, by the way, and so I know a thing or two about oil, and I know we got a lot in reserves, okay? And so when, you, when you're paying over $4 a gallon, I went on vacation, was paying almost $5 a gallon this summer. Anybody else hit that? Anybody go anywhere where it's almost 5 bucks a gallon? You're thinking, this is insanity, this is absolute insanity. And when you start paying uh, more dollars for the same stuff and you're seeing your money start to shrink to do all the same stuff, I'm going to give you a little inside track into church ministry. To do what this church has done is the same thing with my church. It takes more money to do the same stuff. And when the funds aren't there, everybody starts getting afraid. And that's where the Apostle Paul is at. He's like, ah, ah I, I can get fearful when the money isn't there. And then God just kind of dropped this in my mailbox this week as I started praying for you and praying for us. I sense the Lord speak to me, and I want to give this to you because I think this is helpful, is that when you and I are fearful, our eyes of faith are blind. When you are full of fear, full of worry, full of anxious thoughts about your financial situation, but about anything, friends, your eyes of your faith can't see. You can't see. And so many of us are walking around like this in our lives. We're blocking 
We can't see anything, but you know what's interesting is the Bible doesn't say that you have to have magnanimous faith, this huge faith. The Bible tells us that we have to have faith as small as a what? A mustard seed, and what does that small little bit of faith do? It can move a mountain. So if you, when you're like this, all you gotta do is begin to peer through the cracks of your fingers. You can see just a little bit. That's all faith needs is just a little, little, little bit. This little gap, this little angle to see. And then you, as you begin to feed your faith, the fear begins to diminish and you begin to build this intense level of trust in a sovereign, huge God. In the 90s, we used to sing this song, He Will Make a Way where there seems to be no way. Anybody from the 90s remember singing that song? Good old Don Moen wrote that. And he's like, man, we gotta make a way where there seems to be no way. I've been telling my church that for two years. This is what God does. God is an expert in making a way where there seems to be no way. The Lord spoke to me in the scripture and he said that he who began a good work in you will see that work into completion. And so God doesn't just leave you in this season of pressure, this season of difficulty to go, hey, go figure that on your own. I'm gonna go over here and help somebody who's not needing it as much as you need it. No, God absolutely is dialed in to your season right now. He is dialed in to your worry. He's dialed in to your pain. He's dialed in into your adversity. And he's coming to you through this message telling you, I've got you. That was a good spot for an amen. I feel like I'm preaching good and you might be listening subpar. Can we start over? Okay, so don't fear when the money is not there. Secondly, don't fear when there's no time to spare. The Apostle Paul is there building tents in Corinth. And then if you pick up in, uh, let me get the verse here for you. He uh, is building these tents with Priscilla and Aquila. In verse four, it says that he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. He was limited to one day a week to do his job. I I got a feel for all those dudes that are out there today that are bivocational church planters and pastors that are out there selling homes, working at Planet Fitness during the week or doing whatever they're doing, painting houses. And then they've got one day a week that they can do this. Now, some of you don't know this or not, but preachers don't work one day a week. Do y'all know that? So while you're doing your thing, we're doing our thing. Leading meetings, studying the scripture to bring fresh food for you every day. That's what pastors do. That's our job. That's our calling. And Paul was limited to one day a week. He had one day a week where he can go into the synagogue and deliver this message so that it could impact the people so the gospel could advance in the city of Corinth. Because the funds weren't there, he felt the pressure. And all he had was one day a week. Former CEO of the Plymouth Company, back when it was Plymouth Chrysler Dodge, is uh, Dr. W. Hartzell Wilson. He said these words, I love this. God has given me this day to use it. I can waste it or use it for good. But what I do today is important because I'm exchanging a day of my life for it. What do you do when you don't have time to spare and the mission is greater than your resources and greater than the time that you have? Really, it's what the apostle Paul later in his life would write to the believers in Ephesus to make the most of every opportunity that you have. I, I, I can't make any more time. All of us have 24 hours in one day. There's a certain allotment of time that God has given you to live. You have a beginning date and an end date, and in between, you have to make the most of every opportunity that you have with the children that live inside of your home, with the people under your leadership in your job, 
to the influence to the neighbors that you have around you, the people in your sphere of influence. The Apostle Paul, again, if he were here today, he would say, I know time is short. I know that you feel, I'm so reminded of this with my oldest daughter, she's 15. And I saw a picture recently of her when she started second grade. My youngest is in second grade this year, my youngest son. And I was just reminded of how quickly that goes. And some of you are like, no kidding, I have a kid your age. Trust me, I know. It goes quickly, doesn't it? So fast. So what do we gotta do? We gotta manage what we've been given. We don't get more. We steward the time that we have and make the most of every opportunity. Well, don't be afraid when the funds aren't there. Don't be afraid when there's no time to spare. And don't be afraid when people don't care. Sometimes people just don't care about what you care about. Anybody ever been there before? They just don't care about what you care about. And it's one thing if we're talking about football, but when you're talking about Jesus, (laughs) that's where it gets heartbreaking. That's where it gets heartbreaking. So the apostle Paul is preaching his guts out to the people in Corinth. He's at a synagogue and he's just letting it fly, just letting it fly, hoping and praying that they would respond to the gospel. But the, actually the opposite is what happened. If you look with me in uh, verse 6, it says that as he was preaching, it says they opposed him. Do you see that there? Are you with me? Are you still alive? Thank you. Okay. I'm a little southern if you haven't caught in the drift. I'd like you to preach back to me. I'll preach better if you do that and shorter for the record. <laughs> Amen. There he is. Come on now. They opposed him and reviled him. They opposed him and reviled him. Um, If you'll allow me, I have the spiritual gift of prophecy, and I don't believe it's future telling in the scripture nowadays. Um, I I believe that it's truth declaring, revealing a truth that has already been revealed. Like, I'm just drawing you back. That's what the prophet John the Baptist did. He just revealed what the Old Testament had already said, prepare the way. Jesus is here. (laughs) The kingdom of God is at hand. And that's my primary gifting in ministry is prophecy, truth telling. So right here is where it gets a little truth-telling, like a little weird John the Baptist-y moment, okay? So if you just be gracious to the preacher, but let the Spirit of God speak to your heart, okay? He was preaching the roof off the place with the gospel. and These people opposed him. Everybody say opposed. Circle that in your Bible if you like to write in your Bible. That word opposed means to come against his face, Now, I don't mean like they hurt him physically, but what it means is they came right at him. Uh, In modern vernacular, they got in his grill, right in his face, came at him with direct opposition and force. We don't like what you're doing. We hate this. Why? Because when you preach the gospel, it's offensive to people who are living in rebellion to the gospel, and they didn't realize that that was the, like, the preceding moment to their salvation. If they would just give in to that, they would be saved and give in to the message, but they're giving in to sin. And so they're opposing to his face. And then that word reviled is interesting as well. It means, circle that in your Bible, it means to literally speak with the intent to harm. So they were coming at him at his face, and then they were coming at him to harm him, to destroy him. And it also brings the idea of blaspheming him, meaning I'm going to revile him to the point where I'm going to come at his face, but I'm also going to do it behind his back. 
And Paul spent a lot of 2 Corinthians defending his apostleship, defending his calling. He's like, listen, I know I'm not qualified. Hello? I used to kill people that were like me. And now God saved me by his grace. I have no business doing what I'm doing, which, by the way, is everybody who's ever been saved. God doesn't call you because he thinks that you're going to be the best player on the team. God doesn't care about your skill. God calls you because he wants to save you. And so he saved Paul and said, I can use that tenacity. I can use that for the kingdom to advance the gospel. And so God drafts him on his team, saves him. And these people were sent as ministers of Satan to stop the message and the advancement of the mission of the gospel in Corinth. That opposition came right at him and then they came behind him and they started speaking rumors about him. Truth of the matter is, this happens to preachers all the time. All the time. I've been on the receiving end of that many times. Recently, actually. And, and, and the truth is, is that you can get so absorbed in clarifying. and, and I have now resigned to clarifying all the opposition and all of the revilers that Satan sends my way. Do you want to know why he does that? Because you're starting to tread on enemy territory. If you're not getting opposition and you're not getting anybody talking a little smack about who you are and what you're doing, that means you're safe. The enemy thinks you're safe. And what we need is we need the enemy to think we're dangerous. We're dangerous with the gospel because we're now heading into enemy territory, taking back what the enemy has no business holding on to. And so when that opposition comes, he sent that to put us into a state of fear. And what I have recently learned is a clarifying truth that that was sent because I'm living on mission. I was living on mission. Maybe you feel that right now. Maybe you got a sister who's coming at you or a a neighbor who's coming at you or you've got even maybe a spouse who just doesn't understand why you're here today and they're at home. Lots of opposition, lots of backbiting and talking about you. Don't let it paralyze you, let it advance you. I like this. This is uh, one author that writes for the North American Mission Board. He said this, The unexpected blessing of opposition is that it brings clarity to both the nature of our mission and the reality of who is and who is not on the team. This decontaminating clarity is the very fuel that propels gospel movements. Love that. Love that. Because when a church, let me just speak to you. I don't know a lot about you, but I know a lot about your pastor. So when a church lives on mission and gets aggressive with advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ and making disciples, fulfilling the Great Commission as best as they can in their day and in their context, when a church really buys into that, Satan sends his little minions, sends his little opposers. And guess what it looks like? It looks like feedback. That's what it looks like. It looks like feedback and emails. You know what I tell my church? Brad did not ask me to say this, by the way. What I tell my church is you can send that to Aaron at I don't give a rip.com. We'll sit, well, we don't even read those. We don't read them. Now, if you have a genuine concern, come talk to me in person. Let's do that. I love that. I love that because that's brother to brother, brother to sister. That's very clear, Matthew. When you've got an offense, you talk about it. It's biblical. This, we got to do that. I love it. 
when you're advancing the mission, it brings clarity to the nature of the mission. It means, do you really buy into what you're doing? Do you really buy into how you're living? Do you really buy into the mission that Jesus has charged us with? And then it also tells you who's on the team and who's not. I love that. I love that. The truth of the matter is, is what Jesus wants and what I want and what every pastor wants is get on board. And if you can't get on board, go to a place where you can get on board. You with me? You're here, so you're probably on board. But I'm just saying, like, that's facts. That's what Jesus is laying out before Paul is, listen, it's going to happen. Just stay committed to the mission. So uh, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, amen? So uh, what does he do with all that revilement and opposition? Verse 6 says he shook, off, shook out his garments against them. Your blood be on your own heads, for I'm innocent, for I'll go to the Gentiles. <laughs> what did he do? He did what Jesus told the apostles to do when he sent them out two by two. Hey, when the peace doesn't reside where we're doing ministry and the door feels closed... Shake the dust off your feet and move on as a testimony. It's like a warning, like, hey, you had your chance, and we're going to go. So many of us like to pound on the door that's been closed. We just keep pounding. Just open, please, come on. Listen, if you can't pick the fruit, don't bruise it. If God's not letting it happen, go where the other door of open opportunity happens. God will build his church. He's going to do it. You trust him. If you trust him with your salvation, trust him with your sanctification, trust him with advancing the gospel in somebody else's life, he'll do it. So many of us want to... Like, like, he's going to open the door. Maybe you just were a seed planter. So just scatter the seed and move on. Trust God with the results. He'll open the door because he's building his church, amen? Number two, don't be silent. Everybody say hustle, preacher. <laughs> I got a hustle. Here we go. Uh, verse uh, nine, it says, go on speaking and don't be silent. Don't stop talking, Paul. You're gonna be afraid. What, what fear does is it paralyzes your jaw. And it paralyzes your courage. Fear will do that to you. And so he's saying, I know you're going to want to uh, be silent. Don't fear and don't stop speaking. Stay bold. Stay committed to what I've called you to. Why? Well, you got to speak up because the message must be heard. Paul, you got to speak up. Don't shut up and keep talking because the message that you have for Corinth, it absolutely has to be heard. Notice verse 5. Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Circle that word, occupied. Anybody watch Lost? Anybody ever seen Lost? We just finished it like a week ago again. And we were like, why did we watch this? This is so weird. So weird. I mean, it was really good. And then they like made this really awkward turn. But anyway, you guys remember the black smoke? Where it go like that? Okay, so remember that sound. When my wife is super, super dialed in, like she's a way better leader than I am, so gifted, so talented. She's an assistant principal, Miami Valley Christian Academy. Like I learn a lot of my leadership principles from her, just watching her. I don't need to read a book. I read her life and I can learn it. She's incredible. Um, not really a multitasker. I'm kind of the multitasker, which means I can do a lot at one time, but not do anything well. That's what that means. And she is gifted at execution. And so she uh, can, like, whether she's buying groceries online or uh, having a conversation with me and we get these interruptions, she's like that black smoke. Not right now. Not right now. No, 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 no. No, no, no. That's the picture of that level of intensity that Paul was with the word. He was 
dialed in, laser focus, no distractions. What Jesus told him immediately increased his faith. Okay, I'm in. I'm in. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to preach. I'm going to lead. I'm going to do what I need to do in this context. I'm going to be occupied, not with opinions, not with revilers, not with the criticism. I'm going to be occupied with the word of truth, which is the word of God. And these people need to hear this message that Jesus was alive and he died and he rose again for the sins of the world and for their personal specific sins. They got to hear that. It reminds me of early Acts. Peter and John out there just going after it, preaching and preaching and preaching. And they're preaching in the name of Jesus. And the church is exploding. The truth of the matter is, lots of churches explode, but for the wrong reasons. Because if a preacher preaches for your felt need, well, your needs change every week. Some of you had a killer week this week. Some of you are like, this week was terrible. It was that whole bad week week. And so that puts a preacher in a predicament. So what do you do? My contention is you don't preach to your needs, you preach to your ultimate need, which is the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ. And that's how the real church of Jesus Christ actually grows. It advances so fast, so big, and so out of control. Because the name above every other name, Jesus Christ, is the one doing all the transformation and doing all the changing. And Peter and John got it. And the name is what ticked off the religious leaders. The name is what set them off. And so they said, stop preaching. And then they say this, we cannot help but what we have seen and what we have heard, we will keep on singing. That's the Aaron translation, by the way. Or keep on singing. We will keep on speaking. We will keep on preaching. As far as it depends upon us, we're going to stay faithful. Kill me, throw me in prison, do whatever you're going to do, but this name changed me. you got to understand this. I saw this name, this man, I saw him raise a little dead girl. I saw this man heal a woman who had this issue of blood for a long time, spent all of her resources, and she literally grazed the hem of his clothes, and she was saved. I saw him forgive the sinner above all sinners. I saw him literally take a guy who laid by a pool for his whole life, couldn't walk. He stood up and he ran for the rest of his life. I saw him take a guy who had been cutting himself in the deepest moment of spiritual battle in this other side of the Sea of Galilee, on this other side where nobody goes, and I saw him take this demon act man, and he set him free. And then he wanted to go with us. And then he was like, I want to go with you guys to the other side. I want to be a part of this ministry. He's like, no, take what I've done in you and take it to your family. Take it to this side. Guess what? On the other side of the gospel of Mark after that event happened, Jesus goes back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, comes back later, and guess what happened? Revival broke out because the demon act shared. I saw Jesus, this man who you hate, who you want me to stop preaching. I saw this man killed on a Friday, beaten to a bloody pulp. And then I saw all of our hopes thrown into this borrowed tomb. And then on Sunday morning, the earth shook, the tomb was open, and Jesus walked out, and he's alive. I can't help but speak of what I have seen and what I've heard. You will not shut me up. i got to keep going because the message has got to be heard. Why? Because people will be saved. People will be saved by that message, loved ones. They'll be saved. The scripture tells us, I think it's verse 8, that says that Claudius, Claudius, he hears that message and he gets saved. And by the way, it says his whole household got saved. And I don't have time to go there. But dads, that's the power of you surrendering to Jesus Christ in all things. 
I'm not saying that just because you get saved, your family gets saved, but I'm saying you, by God's design, are the influencer of your home. You set the tone for it all. And that family tree was changed because of Claudius receiving the gospel. And then it goes on to say that there are many Corinthians. So, yep, there were some opposers. There were some people that ate paint chips as a kid that just opposed them. Huffed glue, whatever that was. Had that. But some believed. And they were baptized. That word believed, it means to entrust your life. They entrusted their life to Jesus. And they were changed. And they were baptized. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that worth giving your absolute life to? I know it's important for me to say it. But as a a sent preacher from the South to you, I'm imploring you that this is the reason you're alive. Not to sit in some C-suite office in some high-rise in a building and build a net worth that unbelievably is gonna impact your family forever. It's not about building your business, building your name, building your brand, building your influence, getting a little blue check mark on Instagram and on, uh, as an official person. And I don't even know what an influencer is. It's so dumb. It's so stupid. Because we signify so much weight to a blue little check mark on social media and we listen to those voices more than the voice of God telling you today the most important thing in your life is Jesus Christ. I'm supposed to say it, but this is as real as real gets. This is the only thing worth living for, period. Don't shut up. I I would like to tell you, Liberty Heights, don't shut up. Keep preaching that message at home. Keep preaching that message here. Keep preaching that message in your neighborhood. Keep preaching that message to the nations. Keep preaching that message. Why? Because people will get saved. Number three, don't forget. Did you know that amnesia and adversity are like companions? BFFs? They're best friends. You know this to be true because as soon as you go through a hard day, you're like, why are you doing this to me, God? Anybody ever said that? You're in good company, by the way, because even Paul said that. I've said it before. It's like, God, I've went through, let's see, my, in, in a matter of less than a year, my wife gave birth. Uh, we went through a really difficult situation at a church. She was diagnosed with cancer, and I found myself as a 30-some-odd-year-old man living back with my parents. That's fire. That's awesome. It's everybody's dream. <laughs> Moving in, guys, with four kids in your crackerjack box of a house on the backside of Oklahoma. And you get forgetful when that kind of stuff happens. Amnesia and adversity are like companions. And there's some things that Jesus wants the Apostle Paul to remember. He says, don't forget. I want you to remember the Lord's presence. Look at verse 10. It says, for I am with you. That word for is actually, I don't like that translation. I would use because. Don't fear. Don't stop speaking. Why? Because I'm with you. That's your little courage pill, if you will. Like that's the way you can be bold. That's the way you can uh, be, uh, that, can, that can build your faith is to remember the Lord's presence that he's absolutely with you. Paul's saying, or Jesus is saying, I know you're afraid. I know you feel like you're the only one. I know you feel like there's nobody gonna be there to help you. But I am right here in the midst of this moment. And it's not like, like here's the beauty of this, by the way. God's not just around you in his omnipresence. He is with you in you because of the spirit of God. 
The Holy Spirit lives within you. Jesus even said, it's better for me to leave, which blows my mind. Because I'm like, I'd like to have you right here right now. That'd be awesome. And he's like, no, 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 I'll be with you, but I'm going to be in you. That's great news. That's great news that Jesus is actually in us by the Spirit of God. Hildebrandt of Laverdine is a French theologian that uh, was about a thousand years after Christ was born. Listen to what he said. God is over all things, outside all, within all, but not enclosed, without but not excluded, above but not raised up, below but not depressed, holy above, presiding, holy beneath, sustaining, holy within, filling. God is literally in and through and around you. You're his kid. You're his child. You're a kid of the king. That's who you are. So do you think he's just gonna like, oh, okay, fine, whatever. No, he's not like that. He's literally in the struggle right now with his presence is with you. Let that encourage you. My dad is fighting. Uh, it's an illness that's gonna take his life. It's a, literally one in a million. One in a million disease. I can't even, I don't even know the name. It's so long. Can't say it. And my mom, right here, I told her this a couple of weeks ago. I said, mom, the greatest encouragement I can give you today is no answer about why dad is doing, going through what he's going through. I mean, I think it's evidence of a fallen world. It's sin. I'm not saying it's sin in him, but it's sin in the world. But I'll, I'll tell you this, mom. There's no word I could say, no good report from a doctor that he could give other than this. For I am with you. Jesus is with you. The only way she's sustaining right now is by the powerful presence of Jesus. That's it. That's the only way you'll sustain in life as well. He's with you. Isn't that what David wrote in Psalm 23? I'm gonna walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not gonna fear any evil. Why? For you are with me. You're with me. Don't forget that when you're in the midst of that adversity that God's with you. Number two, remember the Lord's presence or Lord's presence and the Lord's protection. I love this. No one will attack you to harm you. That's pretty good news, Amen. That's great news. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty fired up about uh, the Bengals this year. A little nervous number nine hasn't taken enough snaps on TV. Anybody else there? Anybody else there with me? I, I, I'm like, what's he gonna do? I don't know. I know it's like an appendectomy and he's like holding back. I think he probably did get an appendectomy, but still. I'm a little nervous. Like, is he gonna be able to throw the ball and uh, to our receivers out in the flat? Are we gonna be able to, like, how's Chase gonna do? Like, he's gotta catch from Burrow so I can make sure that this is gonna work out. It all depends on my comfort, obviously. What's our, what are our running backs? What are they going to do? How is it going to work? Literally, I thought about this like, oh, wow, the only way that number nine is going to be able to do what he needs to do, the only way that our receiver core is going to be able to do what they're going to be able to do, the only way that our running backs are going to be able to advance the ball comes down to really five offensive linemen. Everything depends on those five guys because they're the ones that are going to be blocking and protecting number nine to make sure that he can throw the ball where he needs to throw, to make sure that our running backs get the seam that they need so they could advance the ball. I'm losing some of the football crowd, just stay with me. Here's the point, Jesus is the offensive line. Jesus is the one who is protecting you. He's the one that is opening the gaps so that you can advance where he's called you to advance. You're the one that if you accidentally, outside of the will of God, step out of the pocket, he's like, don't worry, I got it. I'll flank the enemy on this side and you just stay responsive to me. Jesus is your protection. Jesus is your protection. Come on, yeah, that's great. That's great news. Psalm 34, seven says that God posts his angels as a circle around us. One Sunday morning, I was tasked with preaching 
almost in Arkansas, which Oklahoma is a neighbor to Arkansas, if you didn't know that. About two hours away, and Joy was feeling sick. It's my wife's name. And she uh, didn't go with me that day before kids. I was driving under the freeway, coming onto an overpass. And this young boy stole his brother's car, T-boned the truck in front of me. Truck gets airborne, falls into the passenger seat where my wife would have been, crushes that car. There was a little bubble around me. Now, that doesn't mean that God's protection, it saved me. It saved my wife because she wasn't there. Praise God she was sick. Who would have thought? Praise God she was sick. And it saved me and nobody in that accident and that wreck lost their life. Guys in the truck, this is pure Oklahoma. No seatbelt, windows rolled down, 7 a.m. in the morning, rolls off the on-ramp and God saves us all. It doesn't mean that God's protection prevents a wreck. It just means he's with you in that moment, protecting you because there's still work to be done. Paul was beaten. Paul did go to prison. Paul did get shipwrecked. Paul did eventually lose his life, but it wasn't the end yet. You're not done until God says you're done, amen? And he will protect you. Lastly, remember the Lord's people. I have many in this city who are my people. Not only was the Lord with Paul uh, but as he's going to advance, this is hope. Uh, I think it, it's either Proverbs or Psalms that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. This is hope right here. I got people, Paul. Opposition's coming. I'm, I'm gonna save some. Just keep going. Keep trucking. That was me during the whole COVID thing. Just keep trucking. Uh, I'm gonna build my church. You just keep preaching Jesus. You keep doing what you were doing and I will remain faithful. You remain faithful to me, I will remain faithful to you. Just keep on keeping on. God talks to me a little bit like that. Just real direct, just bam. And God was faithful. God's been faithful to you. Keep on trucking, keep on doing what you're called to do. And I will build my church. I will save many. You take care of what's on, listen to this. You take care of what's on God's heart, advancement of the gospel. He'll take care of what's on your heart. So, he says, I have many there. Look at this. I don't think it's just the salvation. You know what else I think it is? I think it's help. Why do I think that? Who did he meet in Corinth first? Priscilla and Aquila. By the way, I'm up for a name change in that family dynamic. Anybody up for a name change in that dynamic? Totally. Priscilla and Aquila. Okay, so them. Who else? Timothy, Titus, John Mark, Luke, the biblical example of encouragement, Barnabas. Here's a fun one. Tychicus, that's fun. Try being me for a second, trying to pronounce that right. That's hard. Gaius. There's a list of people that God sent Paul's way to help him in ministry. When I first moved from Phoenix to here, that's where I came from. I was a short stint in Phoenix. And uh, I took the rose-colored glasses off at our church because everybody sells a fire experience. It's going to be so sick. Can't wait for you to get here. It's going to be awesome. And then when I got there, I was like, oh, so that's what this is like. And I was like, I don't know what to do. So I started meeting with some local pastors, and there, this Brad name kept coming up. Like, who's Brad? It's like, okay, I've heard this like 53 times now. I should probably find out who Brad is. So I find out Brad is the senior pastor of Liberty Heights. And... Um, 
So I call him, and I was like, hey, you don't know me, but um, I'm told you're Brad, and I need to meet with you. And he's like, sure, come on up. So I turned my cell phone roaming charges on and drove from the south all the way up here, met in his office, laid it out in front of him, and I had right there in that moment, I had a big brother. I had a big brother in ministry who could help me, and he was like, oh, bro, let me tell you about Liberty Heights and where God has brought Liberty Heights and the favor as you stewarded what you've been given and tough leadership call after tough leadership call after tough leadership call. And I was deeply encouraged by that. And I was taking all these notes on this legal pad, still have that legal pad full of everything Brad told me to do. He's like, step number one. I was like, okay, step number two. Okay, three, four, still have it all. We did it all. And we replanted our church coming out of COVID and it's the healthiest it's ever been. I, I had, we had church last week and you guys know what the manifest presence of God is? There's omnipresence, God is everywhere. Manifest presence is like fire on, in the backside of Midian, Exodus 3. God shows up in fire. Pillar, cloud, pillar, fire. God shows his glory, is the word. We didn't, dude, our, church, our service was like an hour and a half. People didn't want to leave. Like God showed up in such a way, it's like God ruined us. We got off of our agenda and he ruined us. That would have never happened four years ago. Like, when you take care of what's on God's heart, he takes care of what's on your heart. You know why nobody wanted to leave? Here's why. This is what I felt the Lord tell me. I don't hear him audibly. You get this sense, okay? I'm not weird. I'm not a charismatic, okay? Jeez. Some of you are freaking out. Is he going to start speaking in tongues? No, I'm not. But what I felt the Lord say was the reason nobody wanted to leave was because you got a small little glimpse of heaven. That was what heaven's like. I couldn't think about anything else. I only thought about Jesus. I only saw his face, like my thought of what he would look like. I experienced the power of his presence. And I thought, everybody's got to experience that. And I think that's what kept the apostle Paul going, was that kind of experience. Well, I'll leave you with this and then I got to go. Don't ever give up. Paul stayed there 18 months. Stayed there as long as it could take. As long as it would take. Progress in the gospel takes time. And then he says that he delivered the word of God to them for 18 months. Progress takes truth. Why? Well, any progress worth experiencing, it's not your truth, their truth, a truth. It's the truth. Why? Why is the truth so powerful? It's Jesus already told us. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth of God breaks the chains of sin, death, and the grave. And anything locking you up, the spirit of God, through the power of salvation, changes that. It takes truth. But loved ones, you know what else it takes? Treasure. Timothy and Silas show up from Macedonia. Go read it on your own time. Philippians 4, 2 Corinthians 8 and 11. This, these churches begged them to be a part of what God was doing. And many of us would say, oh gosh, they must have been wealthy. Nope. Out of their severe affliction and testing and persecution, we will do without so that Corinth can advance. It was out of that space that they gave. 
And do you know what happened? Uh, have you read First and Second Corinthians? I mean, it was a train wreck, but many got saved, and the ministry got up off the ground running because some other churches partnered with them. True advancement happens when you get bought into the vision, literally. Every giant move of God has somebody behind it, a group of somebodies behind it that says, we don't have pet ministry projects, we have this. We give ourselves to the mission of the church to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. Who knows? Maybe this church, maybe my church, maybe our church can say, I know you've heard some things about us, but it's all served to advance the gospel. Amen? Father, we love you.